I'm Alec Lace. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Welcome, everybody, to episode 607 of the podcast. I am happy, as always, to be here with you. Thank you for stopping by. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, please get over there and bang that subscribe button. You do not want to miss all the action coming your way right here on First Class Fatherhood. All right, dads, I got an incredible guest to kick off just an amazing week here leading up to Father's Day. Michael Franzese is a former Kappa regime in the Colombo crime family, and he joins me today on First Class Fatherhood. Michael Franzese was born into the life of Cosa Nostra, the mafia. His father, Sonny Franzese, was the underboss to Joe Colombo himself. Uh, then when his father was sentenced to 50 years in prison, Michael became involved in earning money for his family and officially became a made member of the mafia in 1975. He would end up becoming one of the largest earners for the mob since Al Capone, earning almost $10 million a week with a gasoline tax bootlegging con, amongst other things he was involved in. Eventually, he was caught, sent to prison, where he served eight-plus years in the federal penitentiary, paying back millions of dollars. Since he's come out of jail, he has walked a completely different path in his life. He has left the life of Cosa Nostra. He has become a motivational speaker. He speaks at Christian conferences and teaches the hard realities of crime to so many at-risk youths in this country, uh, completely denouncing the life he once swore an oath to live and protect. If you've ever seen the movie Goodfellas, there is a actor, Joseph Bono, who plays Michael Francis in the film. Michael now has a wildly popular YouTube channel with nearly a million subscribers. He's got a new book out right now titled Mafia Democracy. I had the pleasure of meeting him yesterday here in New Jersey. I listened to him speak. He's got a powerful way of delivering such a great message. Michael Franzese will be here with me in just a few minutes, so please stick around for the interview. And today's interview with Michael Franzese was recorded on video and is available for you guys to watch on my YouTube channel. So if you'd like to watch the conversation between myself and the former capo for the Colombo crime family, please subscribe to First Class Fatherhood on YouTube. Link is in the description of today's podcast episode. All right, and as I said, I have got a banger of a lineup for you guys here, leading you right up into Father's Day. Tomorrow on the podcast, one of the most popular bachelors in the history of the show, Sean Lowe will be joining me here. He was once on The Bachelorette, then he became so popular, he was The Bachelor. He's had one of the most successful relationships, uh, marrying his wife on the show. Now they have a great family together. He joins me on the podcast tomorrow. Wednesday, I will welcome back Pete Hegseth to the podcast. The Fox and Friends and Fox Nation co-host will be joining me here with his co-author of his new book, David Goodwin. They have a brand new book out, Battle for the American Mind. And then on Thursday, I'll be joined here by Steve Ducey, who hosts Fox and Friends. And his son, Peter Ducey, is widely known for his uh, jabbering back and forth with White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki. Uh, Steve Ducey will join me on Thursday. Friday, current UFC welterweight champion Kamara Usman, who is also the pound-for-pound best fighter in the UFC right now. He'll be joining me here on Friday to close out the week. And then on Sunday for Father's Day, I got a very special sit-down interview that I did with my hometown mayor, Tony Perry. Tony Perry is the mayor of Middletown, New Jersey. He stopped by a book signing that I did in Holmdel, New Jersey at Barnes & Noble. We did a live podcast recording there. I will bring that interview to you guys on Father's Day. Also, got some upcoming appearances. I will be appearing on Newsmax and Fox and & Friends. Check me out on Instagram at Alec underscore Lace or visit firstclassfatherhood.com to check out all the details on all the excitement coming up. And of course, if you're looking for that last minute Father's Day gift, First Class Fatherhood Advice and Wisdom from High Profile Dads. My new book is available wherever you buy books. It makes a fantastic gift. It will help support the podcast here as well. If you have purchased a copy, please leave me a review on Amazon or wherever you bought the book. It really goes a long way to help me out. 
And as always, guys, please help me spread the word about the podcast. Every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list and let them know about the show that's here celebrating fatherhood and family life. Fatherhood rocks. Family values rule. And every day is Father's Day right here with me. And I'm going to be right back with Michael Francis. I'm Alec Lace, and you're listening to First Class Fatherhood. Joining me now, First Class Father, Michael Franzese. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. How are you, sir? Good to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. Let's start like this. How many kids do you have and how old are they? I've got seven and they range from the age of 45 down to uh, 23. Five daughters, two boys. What is the breakup? Uh, Five daughters, two boys, two sons. Wow, very cool. Yeah, we got four. We got three boys, then got the girl on the fourth try. Otherwise, we'd be climbing up the seven there with yourself, but we got her, and that was the name of that tune. So uh, if you could, Michael, for those of my listeners who don't know, if you could just take a minute here to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. Yeah, well, I was a uh, former maid member of the Colombo crime family, one of the five uh, Cosa Nostra mafia families in New York. My dad was a uh, um, an underboss to that family back in the 60s. I got involved in that life in 1975, basically as a way to help my father get out of the length of that um, on a, on a uh, uh, conviction I thought was, uh, um, was a wrong conviction. My dad was, uh, was innocent of the crime. They convicted him of him. But as a result, he spent 40 years in prison. Um, I walked away from that life in 1995 after becoming a major target of law enforcement myself. I was indicted seven times. I've had uh, two federal racketeering cases. I ultimately took a plea to racketeering. The underlying act was tax fraud. And I spent eight years out of a 10-year prison sentence uh, in prison. I had a $15 million restitution and, um, and went off to do my time. And before that, I found a young woman who is now my wife of 37 years, who basically was the catalyst for me walking away from that life. <clears throat> I didn't want to put her through uh, what I knew she would go through with my own personal family went through. And so I decided to walk away from that life, basically to spend a life with her. And it's worked out. We've been together. <coughs> excuse me. We've been together for 37 years. So it was a good move. Yeah. I- I- incredible, Michael. I- we know a lot of people don't get a chance to walk away from that life. So walk me back to the beginning of your fatherhood journey then. Uh, how old were you when you first had kids? How did that uh, experience change your perspective on life? And was that before the sentencing in the time? Yeah, well, I, w- I was actually um, uh, married twice. I, I got married very young uh, back in New York, and we had uh, three children in three years. And, um, you know, quite honestly, brother, um, I was so caught up in the mob life during that time. I was making my way, doing a lot of things. I still consider myself a good father at that point in time. I gave my kids as much time as I could. Uh, it was two girls and a boy. They were young. Um, my oldest was actually eight years old when I you know, went off to do my prison time and the mom and I had separated uh, about a year before that. Um, And it changed my perspective, you know, for me being in prison and having those young children being unable to really communicate with them and really be the father that I should have been. uh, It was a bad feeling. I I had a lot of guilt in me at that point in time, Uh, but I still love my kids. You know, I didn't not love them and I gave them what I could prior to my going to jail. But Did it change my perspective? Yes, because I didn't want those kids to go through what myself and my brothers and sisters went through as a result of my father being involved in that life. 
Yeah, and, and Michael, one of the things that, that I would, and I ask this to like uh, the Navy SEALs that I bring on the show, and I ask it of like the UFC fighters, I would imagine similar to the mob, like it's, I guess I would say easier to be a mafia uh, made man when you don't have a wife and kids because you're just that, it's just you. But once you bring a wife and children into it, you've got so much more to lose now and you have so much more to worry about. So was there always a noticeable difference uh, between members inside the mafia who were dads as opposed to those guys who were just the single guys? Well, yeah, you know, the, the mob life is not conducive to a good family life at all. Because, number one, you're bringing a lot of pain on your family. Uh, in my own family, I had a sister that died young of an overdose of drugs. I had a brother that was drug addict for over 25 years, went through some very horrible times. My mom spent 33 years without a husband. And, you know, at the end of her relationship with my dad, I can only describe it as being ugly she blamed him for everything that went wrong, a horrible life. So, and that's pretty well true of every made member's family. They all go through heartache. So any, any lifestyle that does that to a family obviously is a bad lifestyle. It's not conducive to a family life. So yes, guys um, that were single, you know, they didn't have to worry about that. Um, on their end, it probably wasn't good because they all got in trouble some way, shape or form. They all did prison time or worse. So Either way, the life is not good, but it's certainly worse if you're bringing a family into that situation. No doubt about it. Yeah, and I'm going to jump into your book, Mafia Democracy, in just a second here. But one, one more point on this is that I know like, as a son myself, we look up to our fathers. We want to impress them. My father was a used car salesman in the Bronx for his entire life. He was a street hustle guy. And so it got me into a lot of trouble just because I was trying to mimic a lot of those patterns and stuff like that. You being, uh, you know, in the mafia and in that life, which I know that Hollywood glorifies. It's a lot different in, in the real world. Did you have any issues with your kids wanting to emulate you, get into the life themselves or kind of try to mimic you in those ways? Yeah, my oldest boy grew up in New York. And when my father did get out on parole for a, a stint, he was spending a lot of time with him, going to places with him. And I think he, he, he had a spark of that life in him. And I actually got on a plane and went to see my father and him at that time. And I said, this is not happening. No way am I going to allow my son to get involved. And I put a stop to it. So, yeah, I mean, look, you know, from the outside looking in, it could look like an attractive life. You know, I speak to young men all the time, many of them fatherless young men who got involved in a gang situation. And uh, they tell me, boy, Mike, we saw the movie Goodfellas and you were mentioned in there and you guys had the cars, you had the women, you had the lifestyle, you had the power and respect. And I say, yeah, but did you forget to see the end of the movie? Who went to jail? Who got killed? Who lost everything? They don't see the end of the movie. They only see the beginning that, you know, that uh, gets them excited. So um, you do try to emulate your dad. And, um, you know, I. I wouldn't have it in my with my kids. Absolutely not. Yeah. And you mentioned there too, fatherless kids. I, I harp on that, Michael, on the show here is the fatherless crisis we have going on in the country. In my opinion, it's the number one social issue that's leading to so many of these disasters that we have going on. It's at the center point, I feel, of all these different social issues. So uh, I think if we could get more dads back in the home and involved in their kids' lives, I think most of the trouble we're seeing in our country right now would start to go away pretty quickly. What's your what's your take on that? Well, listen, there's no question. I've been harping on this for years. It's obvious. Obviously, um, well, what I should say, it's obvious. Unfortunately, when you say things like this, it's like you're discriminating against, you know, a home where there is no father. But the bottom line in this country, the root of all the problems we're having with our young people is the breakdown of the family. 
It's it. It's plain and simple. I always say, you know, at some point in time, we're going to long for the days in the 50s of Father Knows Best and Donna Reed and shows like that where, you know, the father meant something. He was respected in the household. Today, you don't even have them. You know, 70 percent of kids on the street grow up without a father. And, you know, I can tell you this. My kids, even though I was in prison, grew up under the best of circumstances. My wife taught them well. My mother-in-law, my father-in-law, my church, they had the best of upbringing. And I still had issues with my son. I couldn't communicate with him. It was difficult. We were on two different wavelengths for about six or seven years. I had a lot of problems with him. He's straightened out now. You know, thank God everything is good. But that's in a place where everything is good. So how can you expect these young kids that grow up without a father to have any kind of proper direction and guidance and counsel in life? And I spent so much time in prison with young kids coming into the system. My friend, you can write the same script for all of them. Fatherless home, mom trying to do her best. She's got her own issues. She's a young mom, can't even take care of the kids properly. They gravitate to the local gangbanger, get on the streets. Before you know it, they're in jail. It's a, it, you can write the script for every single one of them. So if you look for the root of the problem, it's an easy problem to solve. Yeah, Put a father it, in the house with them. It, it, it's an epidemic, Michael. I recently just had Governor Ron DeSantis on the podcast here. I think he's the most pro-father, pro-family person in all of politics. I love what his new fatherhood bill, he is actually bringing it to the forefront, which we need more politicians to do, is point out this is the center wheel of all these things that are going on. And let's tie that in now. Your book, Mafia, Democracy, How Our Republic uh, Became a Mob Racket. Uh, you've been in the life, you see what's going on here, how, the way our country right now, in my opinion, it, it's going straight down the sewer here. Uh, how do you connect the dots here in the book? Well, it's very simple, you know, and I point this out very specific. Uh, this is not a fluff piece. I did a lot of research. I back up everything that I say. And the bottom line, I spent 25 years in the street and I grew up with a dad who was a prominent figure in that life. And there's no question that our government is acting very mob-like, very Machiavellian. It's all about power and maintaining control. And the way they do that is by obviously maintaining control, making all of the citizens have to rely on them for everything, everything. And that's what's happening there. You know, um, what I heard today was just absolutely, it's disgusting what's going on. When Chuck Schumer, the head of the Senate, can get on the steps and publicly announce that and, 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 and go after, you know, our Supreme Court justices because they came down with a decision that he didn't like, that isn't pandering to the minorities. So now we have a, a obvious and serious threat on a Supreme Court justice because ahead of, of uh, Congress, uh, uh, yeah, what's happening in this country is that the horrible rhetoric, the divisiveness is coming from the top and it's trickling down to everybody underneath. They're the cause of it. And they want dissension. They want to maintain power and control. They want people to depend and rely on them for everything because they don't want to give it up. Listen, why do these congressmen go in with blue collar assets and come out multimillionaires? They're manipulating the system. The lobbying system is nothing but a bribery system that they pander to at the at the uh, uh, the benefit to them and the detriment to the people underneath them that they're supposed to be serving. I point this out explicitly, explicitly in the book, and I'll tell you. The satisfaction that I'm getting is this. I'm reading all the reviews and people are getting it. 
They say, Michael, we see it. It's been happening in front of our eyes, but now we understand. We really get what's going on. And, you know, I don't want riots. I don't want people protesting in the streets. I don't want any of that. I want them to hold our public officials accountable, to vote them out of office, put the right people in there, and hold those people accountable. And, you know, I say this, and I, and I won't get on my rant with this, but, you know, if we have a friend, a partner, a spouse, they lie to us once, okay, happens. Second time, we start to get a little upset. Third, fourth, fifth, sixth time, hey, that's enough. Done. You got no more credibility with us. These politicians get on and lie day after day after day after day. They make promises. They break them. They lie right in front of our faces on video. And what do we say? Well, that's politics. It's not politics. It's lying. And why do we accept it? We don't have to. Write letters to your congressman, hold them accountable, and throw them out of office when they don't serve the people properly. That's the that's my rant. It's all in the book. Yeah, and that's what. Yeah, that's why it's so important to have voices like yours out there with such a broad reach to get so many people. Because just like, hey, listen, in the court system, you can give great testimony on the stand. But if they catch you lying once, they throw your entire testimony is out. It's no longer usable. Just if they catch you lying once. These guys, they do it over and over again. I mean, when you were a kid growing up, it was lawyers and politicians. You don't trust them. Like, and now all of a sudden, everyone's like, oh, no, we can trust these politicians. Uh, it, there's been a big problem coming. And I think the whole pandemic opened a lot of people's eyes uh, to kind of see just how bad things are inside of there. Now, I, I ju just recently did an interview. I know you did too with Dinesh D'Souza. He put out the 2,000 views. Now, YouTube, they, they took my, my interview down uh, with Dinesh and so did TikTok. Uh, but but he's a guy, he calls these uh, politicians for what they are, gangsters. He makes the correlation between these guys uh, and the gangster life. So here's the question now, Michael. How in the world do we get this thing straightened out? Because I, I know, like, in, in the terms of, like, say, Pablo Escobar, he was silver or lead. You know, you take the money, the bribe, or you take the bullet. And so how do we? Uh, how are we going to be able to manage to turn the coin on what's going on and, and turn the tide in the country here back to good? Well, I give examples of how we can solve this issue. But I think what's happening, I think the left is solving us for uh, solving it for us because people are disgusted. Look, they just threw out the district attorney in San Francisco, the most liberal city in the nation, because the people are fed up, okay, with the amount of crime, the amount of homelessness, you know, the, the soft on criminal activity that's going on there. They had enough. They threw them out. L.A. is next. New York might come after that. Because, look, people are concerned about two things, two things. And this is how they vote. Number one, their pockets. They want to make sure they can pay their rent, put food on the table and take care of their bills. Well, that's not happening now. Inflation is at an all time high. People can't even drive their cars, you know, an extra day because of the price of gas. Drugs are coming in over the southern border. We had 100,000 people between the ages of 24 and 45 died of, of opioid um, addiction and uh, overdosing last year. And where are those drugs coming in? unmatched over the southern border. And, you know, I spoke to 850. I, I have to hop on this because this touched my family. I spoke to 850 undercover uh, agents, Border Patrol agents from the state of Texas. They told me, Michael, they're not even getting 10 percent of the illicit drugs that are coming over the border. They can't. They're getting no help from the federal government. And it's happening. People in cities all over the country are dying. Young people from opioid overdose. And this administration is allowing it to happen. It's murder. Plain and simple, it's murder because they know it's happening and they're not controlling it. And so people are getting fed up. They're saying enough. And when they take this administration to task and throw them all out, maybe in the next two years, 
if if the Republicans get a backbone and start reining in social media, you know, I'm finding out now on on YouTube that if you if you disagree with the uh, January sixth hearings that are going on, they're throwing you off. They're throwing you off YouTube. I mean, they're silencing our freedom of speech. We can't disagree with them anymore. The Republicans got to get in there. They got to get a backbone and they got to say enough. We have a First and Second Amendment. We got to abide by it. Yes, there can always be a little reform here and there, but we're not throwing these amendments out because our founding fathers put them in there for the right reason. They've worked for 200 plus years. We're not going to throw them out now to pander to any any uh, uh, political party. And the problem there, too, Michael, is you have so many people that are in the Republican Party that are just as corrupt and just as bad as the other side. And like I had uh, President Trump's son on the show here. I've had a few of the members of his cabinet on here. They didn't even know who was who inside that administration. Sometimes you had his own press secretary come out and openly say, hey, I didn't even vote for him. So it's like the people that are in there are also some of the part of the problem, too, that they got to try to weed out. Well, I want to tell you this. My book is a bipartisan uh, look at this. I don't go after Democrats or Republicans. I go after the system. And yes, you're absolutely right. There are many Republicans at fault also. No question about it. And that's what I'm saying. Whoever it is, look, I'm a conservative. I'm not a registered Republican, not a registered Democrat. I want to put the right people in office. I don't care what party they're from. I really don't. And, and, and I go into that specifically in the book. But you're right. We got to weed these people out, get them out of office and put the right people in place that really have a heart and care for the country. And, you know, look, you talk about Trump. Trump did a lot of things that I didn't like. I thought his tweeting rants were ridiculous. I thought he brought himself down by, you know, going to attack Nancy Pelosi when she attacked him. He's the president. You got to stop that nonsense. Stop being so divisive. Put that aside. I think he was good for the country. His policies and agenda, America first, that's what we needed. And so, you know, I tell people, I'm not inviting Trump over for dinner. I wouldn't let him date my daughter, but I like what he's doing for my country because it's America first and that's what we need. Yeah, well said. And unfortunately, everything that he did that was good gets overshadowed because the media was out to get him from day one. I mean, I was at the White House with press clearance uh, a dozen times and I watched it go on from the inside. It was absolutely horrifying to see what the press corps was all about. That's a whole nother story. But one thing I wanted to get your take on here, Michael, too, you talked about Goodfellas and how much our movie industry has an influence over the public. Many people think of the mafia as Goodfellas or uh, the Bronx Tale, and they see these movies and they, that's what their impression is. Some of them seek that out because of it. Yesterday, as we're recording this, Matthew McConaughey, who I've had on the podcast here as well, gave the speech at the White House about guns and gun reform. My my opinion on this is these Hollywood actors, if they if he was to take a stand and say, you know what, because of all these things that are happening with guns in our country, I will no longer play a role in a movie that portrays guns and guns violence. And I call on all my other brothers and sisters in Hollywood to do the same. Let's get rid of guns in Hollywood because we're profiting and we'll no longer take another nickel for a movie from a movie that promotes guns and gun violence. Can't they do that? Movies have an influence on people. We know that maybe this is far fetched, but I don't think they would ever do it because there's so much money in it. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, look, it's a good position to take. I doubt it'll ever happen because those those action films are the ones that make money for them. You know, uh, I mean, if you go on Netflix, that's all you see. I mean, that's the kind of product that they're putting out. So I, I don't think that'll ever happen. But I do want to applaud Matthew McConaughey for the stand that he took. You know, he came across very intelligently. I think the things he had to say, 
you know, listen, I'm all for the Second Amendment. I really am. But I don't know why a gun with that capacity has to be in the hands of an 18 year old. That's ridiculous. You know, and they say, well, he you know, they put him in. They put it in his hands when he goes into the military. Yes. But they're teaching him how to use it, when to use it and why to use it, not to go in and, and terrorize a school. So I think that reforms need to be put in place with these assault weapons. Absolutely. I think background checks are important. I think an age limit is important. No question about it. So you can make those kind of reforms, you know, and I will tell you this with with respect to guns. When I was on the street, I could have gotten any gun that I wanted on the black market. If you take the right uh, for legal people to own guns away from them, the only ones are going to have guns are criminals. That's it. And they'll get all they want. There'll be a huge black market. And that'll be a major problem for people because then the criminals are not going to worry about going into a house because there's no weapons there for anybody to defend themselves. So to take the guns away from legal people that are responsible is asinine. It's ridiculous. It's never going to work. And, you know, I don't know if these politicians will ever figure that out or want to figure it out. I, I don't know. And, and yeah, Michael, on that, on that, too, yeah, it's a scary time for parents all across the board in this country here, not only with the school shootings. Uh, you show up to a school board meeting, you're being labeled a terrorist just because you don't want uh, some guy using the same bathroom as your daughter. I mean, things have gotten a little crazy here for parents. Now we have the, the formula shortage. Uh, there, there's a whole lot of things for parents to be concerned about. And, and this is why, too, we're even talking about these things. The, the last gunman there in Texas, a kid with no father in the home, grew up fatherless, as most of these shooters do. So we can come right back to that. And one of the most important parts of that piece is the discipline portion. So I'm curious for you, what type of disciplinarian uh, are you as a father? Were you as a father with your kids growing up? And is that different than the discipline style that you grew up with? Well, I grew up uh, with corporal punishment, man. I mean, my mom, my mom did never spare the rod. I mean, that's for sure. Uh, you know, to a point where she was a bit extreme. I mean, I don't regret it because out of all my, she only did that with me. And out of my, all my brothers and sisters, I'm the only one that, you know, is enjoying the life that I'm enjoying now. Even though I went in the wrong direction for a while, I understand discipline. I understand authority. I got it. My mother, my, my mother, my father didn't teach me to be tough. My mother taught me, you know, from the beatings that I got. Um, that's unacceptable today. And I've never hit my kids. Um, you know, fortunately, I've never had to do that. But we discipline them. But, you know, it's love first. They understand we love them. It's, it's an unconditional love. Uh, we brought them up in the church, so they have they're a faith based uh, we're a faith based family, which has been tremendous in their growth. And I understand that I'm you know I'm raising my kids to hand them over to God at some point, so we we do the right thing with them. And uh, unfortunately, all my kids are okay. I mean, you know, they've all one is a little you know more uh, successful than the other, but they're all doing fine. And you know, we have Sunday dinner. We demand it. Holidays, we demand that they be together. We do a lot of family stuff together and we always make them understand it's family first because at the end of the day, you know, when you got your friends and all of that, but it's your family uh, that uh, that you're going to turn to in time of need. And so, um, you know, it's 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 been great. I've been very blessed with my kids. Yeah, very well said. Yeah, I'm a faith-based person myself. My family, we pray together. And that's the other thing. Not only has the dad been removed, the father been removed from the home, but our heavenly father's been removed from our culture and our society. And I think those two things together, man, boy, will we be doing okay in the country? We can get back to those. Uh, and what curious, too, about that, I ask a lot of the military dads as well. Like, how, did, I, when did you I know God is first in your life now, but when, when did that transition happen for you? And are there guys in the mob that are very faith based and heavily into their faith? And how do they kind of balance that uh, with the lifestyle that they're living? 
Well, you know, uh, I grew up as a Catholic and, and just about every mob guy is, uh, you know, Italian Catholic. You know, they even get ashes on Ash Wednesday, but then they don't, they believe in God, but they don't lead a godly life. And I don't know how they justify that in their heads. The problem is when you take that oath, the oath comes before anything and everything in your life. And you have to have that uh, understanding or you don't survive in that life. It has to be that way. So God is there, but he's not first. The oath is first. Um, you know, so, and I believe they're sincere in their belief in God. Again, it's just that they don't perform that way. You know, maybe uh, at some point in time, it, it, the bell rings and, and God gets to them because at least they have the foundation. You know, with me, my wife was a young Christian girl when I met her. She was 20 years old. My mother-in-law was the strongest woman of faith I've ever met in my life. She was a prayer warrior. She prayed for me daily to bring me where I am. Um, and it really hit me when I spent, uh, I spent almost three years in solitary confinement. And during that time, um, I really absorbed my Bible and I absorbed many, many books about all different faiths and came away believing strongly in the Christian faith. And over the past, that was, that was from 91 to 95. And in the past 25 years or so, you know, God has only proven it uh, further in my life, what he's done for me and what I've seen him do in the lives of others that have turned to him. So, you know, it's real for me and uh, it's been real for my family. And, um, you know, it's been a godsend for all of us. I, I can tell you that. And, you know, yes, the problem is our government is pushing God out because they want people to worship them in a way, rely on them. Be, you know, they're the gods at this point. Anything you need, go to the government. You need a check? Sure, go to the government. You need health care? Go to the government. Everything the government is going to provide for you. So they're taking the place of God, and God is watching. And I, I'll tell you this. Listen, I'm the father of seven. You know, when it comes to that, I'm 100% pro-life, no doubt about it. I was absolutely disgusted when the mayor of New York came out and said that he believes that a woman has a right to abort a baby right up to the moment of birth. When that baby is there out of her body, right up to the moment of birth, she has the right to abort that baby. He's a lunatic as far as I'm concerned. That's a life at that point in time. Attached by an umbilical cord, as soon as that's done, that's a life. And this guy has the nerve to say that. And he called it a health issue. Now, again, he didn't say that the health of the mother was in jeopardy. She was fine. They were both healthy. But that's her right. He's a sick person to, to, to publicly announce something like that. I don't think most people in the country or even in the world believe in that. But this guy comes out because he's pandering to a group, a minority, obviously. But um, to me, there is a little bit of a gray area. Obviously, when the health of the mother is in jeopardy, okay, that's a serious issue. And it's a, it's a gut-wrenching issue that you have to make a decision there. You know, and, and honestly, too, I don't like the federal government telling me what I can do with my body or telling a woman what they can do with her body. But the, the idea is that's not her body anymore. She's nurturing another body. It's not her body. That's how I look at it. So, you know, and I'll get I'll get hit for this. You know, people, oh, Michael, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, we're used to it. We still have to stand up for what we believe in. We have to. And, and uh, that's what I believe. And that's what I'm going to do.
Yeah, the, the most disgusting part of that, too, Michael, is that they lit up the Freedom Tower pink in honor of that decision that they made there when Warren Wilhelm Jr. was at the helm. So, uh, yeah, I, I thought it was, uh, you know, terrible to see as well. It's the celebration of it that really kind of makes you scratch your head. Uh, not only are they for it, they're celebrating it as if it's some kind of good thing. So, but yeah, as you said, I get hammered for that as well. So no surprises there. And I'm just curious here, one more touch on the book before I get you out of here. Uh, Mafia Democracy, you, I know you've been reading the comments, reading the reviews that you've been saying. What has been the response from the left? What has been the response from the Democrats so far that you've been able to get uh, from the book so far? Well, I, you know, I, I don't know who's writing the reviews, whether they're Republican or Democrat, but I can tell you across the board, they've all been very, very good, really good. And, you know, the book shot up to number one on Amazon's uh, bestseller list in four different categories, Barnes and Noble also. So people are responding well to it. Look, I'm just opening their eyes. I really am. You know, the mob grew up under this Machiavellian ideology. The end justifies the means, do whatever you need to do to maintain control, you know, uh, but always appear to be honest and upright and having integrity. This is absolutely the way our government is acting. They're underhanded, they're corrupt in many ways, and they're not servicing the people that put them in office. They're not working for the benefit of the country. And that's all I'm trying to open people's eyes to. And by the way, if, uh, uh, if your viewers go on MafiaDemocracy.com, we'll give them a free chapter to read, and then they, they can decide if they want to go further with it. Uh, and, of course, it's on Amazon. It's on all the major uh, you know, online sites, so uh, you can get it there. But uh, I'm very pleased with the reaction so far. Yeah, I'm going to drop the link that you just mentioned in the description of the podcast episode so my listeners can get over there, tap the link, check out the free chapter, go further with the book if they choose to. Uh, best of luck with the book. Last thing I want to hit you with here, Michael, I love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast, what type of advice do you have for that new dad or for that about-to-be father who's out there listening? Well, just listen. Be a father to your child. You know, the single-parent home doesn't work. We've seen that many, many times. Uh, you know, the greater percentage of it doesn't work. Be a father to your child, love your child, uh, you know, discipline them when they need it and bring them up as best you possibly can. Just be there for them. That's that's the most important thing you can do. Guide them. And, and uh, you know, listen, for me, it's always faith first. You know, it's always good to have a helping hand when you're raising your kids. And when you get that hand from the right source, like the church, you can't miss. Yeah, very well said. I love the message. Uh, this has been an honor for me. I got to say, Michael Franzese, you're a first-class father all the way. And thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time here on First Class Fatherhood. I appreciate that. Anytime you want me, I'll be back. Thank you. Back to wrap things up here on First Class Fatherhood. I got to give a special thank you once again to Michael Franzese for giving me a few minutes of his time here. It was so cool. Please hit me up on Twitter, guys, or drop me that DM on Instagram. Let me know what you thought about today's episode. I always love to read your feedback. And as I said, I got a lot more coming your way this week. Tomorrow on the podcast, Bachelor Sean Lowe joins me. Wednesday, Pete Hakeseth is back. Thursday, Steve Ducey will be here. Friday, Kamara Usman finishes out the week. And then Sunday for a special Father's Day episode, Middletown, New Jersey Mayor Tony Perry in a live podcast recording. Don't forget First Class Fatherhood, Advice and Wisdom from High Profile Dads. My new book, available wherever you buy books, makes a great, great Father's Day gift. That's all I got for you guys today. I'm Alec Lace. Thank you for listening to First Class Fatherhood. And please remember, guys, we are not babysitters. We are fathers. And we're not just fathers. We are first class fathers.